the Evolved Succeed podcast where founders, entrepreneurs, business leaders and experts are interviewed to explore the link between personal and business success. We will also investigate and establish the need for ongoing personal development, accountability and support. The objective is to inspire you, the audience, to be better in life and in business. Welcome to the Evolve to Succeed podcast. My guest this week is Pip Hare, who in November is going to set sail from France to compete in the ninth Monday Globe, a single-handed, non-supported, solo, non-stop race around the world. The Monday Globe takes place just every four years and is considered the ultimate test in ocean yacht racing. To date, only 87 people have finished the race and Pip is just one of four Brits competing this year. It's clearly a significant and extreme mental and physical challenge and just getting to the start line requires years of training, sacrifice, dedication and persistence. Pip set her own objectives for the race as you will hear of during the course of the podcast and we explore her journey of just getting to the start line and the challenges that she's faced along the way. Pip and the Bonding Globe have significant meaning for Evolve 2. We came on board as a very early supporter of Pip's more than a year ago and we're proud to be part of Pip's incredible journey. Specifically in this podcast, Pip talks about why she revels in being alone at sea. I like the opportunity to be 100% focused on one thing and not to have, you know, my attention divided in a million different ways. Reveals her psychological approach to a race that has a high rate of failure. It's very, very important to understand your objectives and then keep balancing, redefining, working to your objectives all the way around. And discusses the intimate relationship she has with her boat. It's the boat that has enabled me to do what I always dreamed of doing. It's enabling me to be the person I always wanted to be. If you want to learn more about Evolve, then please do go to evolvemembers.com. But for now, let's get on with the show. Pip, welcome to the Evolve to Succeed podcast. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Oh, it's great to have you on the podcast. I've been really keen to have you on the podcast and have a chat about you with you about the whole Vendée Globe challenge that gets underway on the 8th of November. So not long now, Pip. No, it's 61 days today. 61 days from today, wow. Yeah. But I want to talk to you about the challenge, that sense of isolation, the sleep deprivation, all of the things that are going to happen, I'm sure, on your journey and that you've experienced before sailing solo. But I want to start off with, I'm fascinated to learn more about the journey to get to this point, Pip. So tell us, when did you first learn about the Bondé Globe as a challenge and when did you first think, I'm going to go and set out and I'm going to go and do that. So I first read about the Vendée Globe race when I was either 16 or 17. Um, I just really engaged with sailing as a sport. I'd been on a holiday in my teens and the freedom and the responsibility that sailing gives to a young person just really inspired me to, to want to do more in the sport and then I started reading books picked up magazines and and it was in in a magazine I read about the Vendée Globe race and I guess there were two things that really I picked up on the first one was how audacious the whole thing is you know it's a single-handed non-stop race around the world but in 
an enormous boat, a 60-foot boat that yeah. normally would be crewed by 10 people. And just, you know, it's so big. Everything about it is so big. Yeah. But then at the same time, I was flicking through the pages, used to only reading about men in this sport that I loved. And there were women competing in the same event on equal terms, getting the same column inches yeah. in the magazines. And I just thought, I'm going to do that. That's 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 late teens then. That's mid yeah. to late teens, and the yeah. ambition kind of set about. And obviously, that hunger to enter this race has been with you ever since. Yeah, it has, and I think you know it kind of that was what I decided I was going to do at that age. And then I went through my twenties, being frustrated really because. I wanted to do it, but I couldn't understand how you make it happen. And yeah. I, you know, read about other people and they all just seemed to get these lucky breaks and there wasn't a performance pathway to it. So in the UK, sailing is an Olympic sport and there's performance pathways to the Olympics, but, but that's not where it's to anything like this. Rather yeah. Than, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I think I, you know, I, I, I gained a lot of experience, a lot of qualifications in my twenties. I became a professional sailor and I was just permanently looking for the, the first rung on the ladder and I, I couldn't find it. But also, you know, there is, there was an element of not having any role models. Yeah. Of course, you know, Ellen MacArthur went through in 2000 yeah. and I was in my thirties by then. So, you know, I watched her her go around the world but but there was nobody else really within my sphere and every single person that I met offshore sailing was a man right. so you know it was difficult for me to understand how to make it happen really and do you think Ellen MacArthur did open the opportunity I mean she got you know you talk about column inches she was all over the tv the media she became a whole personality in her own right from the challenge that she went through. Yeah, I mean, it was interesting. You know, Ellen found her own pathway. She yeah. really made it happen. She was a phenomenally dedicated and talented sailor. And I think she made people aware of the sport in a way that they hadn't been aware before. But then, sort of, for me, it was still frustrating to see it because I could see that she'd done it, but I couldn't... I still couldn't see the way that I could yeah. do it. So, you know, it, I guess it made me more hungry seeing her success, yeah. but more frustrated because I wasn't making it happen at that time. Right. So, yeah. so how did the doors open up? I mean, I mean, that's grit, determination and just tenacity to keep going with this ambition that one day you'll be on the Vendée Globe start line. It's a race that only happens every four years, isn't yeah, it? So yeah. <laughs> if you miss a window, you've really missed a, a chunk of, of time. I guess, I guess, you know, I, I knew I had the ambition. I, I knew I had this sort of, you know, burning ambition inside me to do it. And that was one thing. But what I realised in my mid-30s was actually there isn't somebody that just kind of opens the door and welcomes you in. You have to, you have to make this happen yourself. And I think it took me a long time to build up confidence in myself and understand that I actually had the ability to make it happen I just had to stick my neck out and do it so in my mid-30s I was living on a boat you know I'd spent my whole life on the sea so I was living on a boat I'd sailed hundreds of thousands of miles over many many oceans and I just looked around I, I decided I would have a go at solo sailing just to have a go kind of to prove to myself 
it was something I wanted to do. And so in in the middle of uh, my mid-30s, I decided I would sail single-handed across an ocean. And I, I sailed from, I was living in South America at the time, so I sailed from Uruguay to the UK. It was my first ever solo trip. Um, right. And I just did it to prove that I could. And I loved it. And that kind of was, that was the first step. And from there... I just built myself a program. Right. I, I found different races to do. I found people to train with. I changed boats regularly to make sure I was improving. And essentially, I built my own performance pathway. Right. Created it yourself to get to this point. Yeah. And when was the critical point where you really started to realise that, you know, 2020, one day globe, you were going to aim to be on that start line? So... There was a there was a, a Vendée Globe in in 2016, and I I think in my head I was aiming for that one when I started in 2009. But I managed to gain all of the skills. So I'd I'd gone out, I'd trained, I'd raced, I'd, I'd sort of worked my way up through the ranks, and I was confident that I had the skills. But then the big piece is the business piece behind it, and the funding and finding a boat, and that for me was a major barrier because I. I'm not keen on selling myself. I don't like it at all. It, it finds the hell out of me. The fundraising was just, I didn't know how to approach it. And I struggle very much with the selling an idea. Yeah. In my mind, I'm more comfortable demonstrating to someone what I'm capable of and then allowing them to invest in me on results rather than telling someone that I could be amazing at this and yeah. asking them to invest. It, it, it's, it's just... a complete different psyche. Yes, it, it is. is. It is, Because yeah. you've got to put yourself out there and say, I am going to do this, I can do this, and yeah. then I'll prove it to you. Whereas, as you say... Yeah, and, and, that, and, and that's what makes it very difficult with something like the Vendée because, you know, the boats cost a lot of money. And so, you know, if you, in my mind... If I didn't have a boat, then I didn't have a campaign. So how could I sell a campaign? Yeah. But without the funding, there was no way on earth I was going to get a boat. It's a vicious circle. So, so I didn't really know where to start. And I think, you know, I got to 2016 and sort of thought I was just parking it. I thought, okay, I've got as far as I can. This is the barrier that I can't get over. Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm proud of what I've done. You know, I've been competing on international races for, for a long time and and I thought, okay, I'll park it. And then in 2018, an opportunity came up to charter the boat that I'm now racing. And it was just looking at the problem in a different way. Yeah. It was a charter fee that was just attainable, I thought. And, you know, so I I decided, I created this idea where I would... I would charter the boat, you know, I'd stick stick my neck out, charter the boat, try and raise funds along the way. And then the idea was that, you know, if I chartered the boat and secured my entry in the Vendée, which is quite hard, yeah. then that would be something that people could invest in. So I would be demonstrating that I was giving it everything that I could, but also I would be demonstrating that I was capable, which would make me more comfortable with getting out there yeah. raising yeah. the money so you've stuck to your values really it's taking you a lot yes longer to get there <laughs> yeah but you have stuck true to those principles of values you look back now and because you know I, i've known you for about 18 months pip and to see the pip now 
in front of people and mm. more confident and yeah. the coaching that you you know say you've been you've yeah evidently been through do you is there a part of you that wishes that you'd done that earlier in your life now and adapted to those skills yeah I mean I think yes and no I mean I think one thing's for sure I have had a lot of help and work on things like talking in front of people yeah. and and because it, it's been something that's terrified me my whole life even you know to the extent that if I could sit in a room full of five people that I don't know I would actually struggle to speak and this has now become my job and so I've had I've had to, no to work on it and I think now I get to the stage where if I tell people that you know, I am actually quite a shy person and I'm very nervous. They just don't believe me. <laughs> so I'm obviously quite a good bluffer. Um, <laughs> Aren't we all the time? <laughs> so I think it it definitely would have benefited me to have that focus and that coaching earlier on in my life. But I also believe that, sure, you know, I'm in my mid-40s and... I think everybody in life would like to slot in another 10 years somewhere, you know, because, but I now I have the skills, I have the experience to do this now. I believe that I'm in a great place to do this and, and you can't replay things, you know, things worked out this way because I got myself to the position to do it. And all of the life experience I've had before this has enabled me to be the person I am now. Yeah. And so I don't I don't ever wish that I'd started earlier because I don't think I would have had the same result. No. I mean, you can't live life with any regret, can you? You've got to no. just take each day and do the best you can yeah, I mean, and be the best you can be and as a yeah. human, really. Yeah, and I, mean, I, I think it's really important to acknowledge, you know, the things that you could have done better and, yeah. and where you went wrong. And especially, you know, it's all the same as with my sale training. You know, I, I look at everything that I've done. I... I'm completely honest about, you know, when I make a mistake on the water or I make a mistake with weather routing, then you acknowledge it, you face up to it, never make the same mistake again, yeah. but you can't rewind it. No. So it will eat you up inside. Yeah. I imagine <laughs> yeah. That even more so when you're on a race that's what's going to take 100, uh, 190 days. Well, not quite that long. <laughs> is it not? How many no, days? No. That so was I'm, 94 days. Yeah, isn't it? yeah. 94 days is, is, is the current female record, which I'd like to get close to if I can yeah but it'll be you know between 90 and 100 I hope wow yeah and the longest you've spent on sea so far I understand around 58 days 58 days yeah so how did you find that um I I loved it I mean I just I really enjoyed it I like the opportunity to be 100% focused on one thing and not to have you know my attention divided in a million different ways and and to unplug from the crazy life that we lead you know to be utterly focused for that long is a real privilege I think okay you like your own company obviously I'm okay (laughs) (laughs) so do you is there a different pip on the water yes and on the boat so there is on land very much so yeah and how does that differ then I think on the water, I am more disciplined. I am firmer with myself. I'm more focused. I'm just, I think I'm just a better version of me, really. I think on the land, maybe it is because, you know, I 
I'm trying to do too many things at once, I think, yeah. probably on the land. And, and as you know, I think lots of people are are guilty of this. You know, we, we, we try to do too many things all at the same time and, and don't always do them to the best of our ability because we've got yeah. too much on. And and so, yeah, I definitely um, I definitely aspire to be me on the water as much as I can. Yeah. What aspects of being on the water and being isolated for that length of time do you think you're going to find most challenging? I think probably the most challenging bits are going to be dealing with, you know, problems or mistakes or, you know, because I am quite self-critical and, and you know, when you're racing, there is, when you're racing and you're single-handed, then you you take responsibility for your success and your failure. Hmm. And, you know, I very acutely feel when I make a mistake and, and, and everybody is going to make mistakes on this race. And, and I very acutely feel that I've let myself down, but I've also let down everybody else who who is supporting me. And and I I know I struggle with dealing with that. And, of course, I'm going to be sleep deprived for the whole time. Hmm. And then it's quite difficult to to regulate those emotions and to keep things in perspective. So, you know, I have to work quite hard to keep a positive attitude when things go wrong. And just, you know, I I work very much on just have to remind myself that that there's always an opportunity to put them right. Things are going to change again. You know, all of those things. There's this inner dialogue you have to keep going. Yeah, because we all face challenges, don't we? And anything we do, or even you know those on land that do a, a you know a, a non-team sport, but there's always a coach or somebody or another half or somebody you can turn to at night and go, "Well, I did that, and I was crap at it, or I did that wrong today, and next time I'm going to do it better." And at least that little bit of encouragement will come in. I suppose you've got that at the end of a radio, but it's not physical, is it? No, no. And and then the other thing that that can be difficult is just the reassurance you know you're not asking somebody for a solution but you know just saying well I'm going to do this does that seem right just that reassurance just just batting ideas off someone else just having someone else just as a sounding board for things you know I, I don't have we're not allowed that sort of support we're not allowed any interaction that might improve our performance so so that side of things is is quite difficult too and I think it's it's the transition from before the race you know I am fully supported before the race I have a team of people who are helping to prepare the boat who are advising me who are making sure I've packed everything you know there's this sort of wraparound care of me and then all of a sudden I step into nothing and no one so yeah I think that adjustment is is quite brutal I think sometimes as well. So, I mean, it was one of your competitors that caused this, the whole challenge, their campaign is the Everest of the Seas, they call it. And, and looking, you know, the statistics, there's less than 100 people yeah. that have sailed around the world, yeah. non-assisted, non-stop. Yeah, solo. yeah. I, I, it's definitely not Everest. Everest is, uh, well, Everest is not a walk in the park. But, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but, but, you know, in terms of numbers, uh, over, I think over 5,000 people have summited yeah. Everest. Only 87 people in the whole world have finished this race and only six of them were women. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's huge. And it's not it's not just the race itself, it's what it takes 
to get there. Yeah. You know, for me, that's a lifetime on the water. Yeah. There's the the business commitment behind it, you know, all of the fundraising. There's, you know, all the training and the preparation. And then and then you've got to sail around the world for three months. <laughs> <laughs> I just dumbfounded. I just uh, you're a remarkable lady. <laughs> I mean, I just uh, and I suppose that that's that's the piece, isn't it? Is that you set out on the eighth of November. I think it's 33 entries this year, which yeah. is pretty much a record entry, but usually yeah. it's in that 20s, yeah. late 20s. And probably a third sort of fail to finish, if not more, in some of the races, depending on the conditions. Yeah. And how do you get your mindset into that, really? Because you're dictated to by your own performance, but you're, you've put a lifetime of effort. The last two years, wholly dedicated to your to get to that start line. And to a certain extent, the world, the environment, the the weather is is, is going to partly dictate success or failure, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I I think it's so it's very very important to understand your objectives and then keep balancing, redefining, working to your objectives yeah. all the way around, which are going to change. But objective number one for me is finish. Yeah. You know, to finish is remarkable. Incredible. And I need every single decision I make needs to be with that objective in mind. Right. And then I work on my performance. And so, you know, my performance goal is to try and beat Ellen MacArthur's record, which doesn't mean that I will gain the female record because there are six women racing yeah. and three of them have got very new boats yeah. and and Sam Davies for example she's on her third Vendée she's incredibly experienced so you know that's the interesting thing about the Vendée we've all got different boats we've got different budgets we're at different stages yeah. in our careers and so we are defining our own objectives all the time and you know I am racing and I will be pushing as hard as I can but every time I make a decision to push or not it's with this end goal of finishing and, you know, I, I'm relying on my experience and my professionalism as a sailor to ensure that I don't make stupid mistakes that will put mm. the boat at risk during the race. But that said, you know, one of the things I very, very, very much have to engage with is that stuff happens. Yeah. You know. The elements will take control yeah, at times. So. Stuff might happen. And so long as I can look back at the decisions that I've made and say that they were good decisions at the time, but stuff happened, then, you know, I think I will be able to cope with the idea of not finishing. But if I didn't finish due to a stupid mistake that I'd made, I would really, really struggle with that. So it's self-responsibility and it's having that objective in the mind and that goal setting that actually, yeah. and it is a remarkable achievement to finish, Yeah, is the goal. Yeah. And then to finish in the best performance you can, Yeah, come secondary. Yeah. Therefore, I assume you'd say you're competing against yourself in this race or do you feel you're competing against the other boats? Because as you say, there's people with million pound plus yeah. budgets, Yeah, I'm sure, and more, and there's you on, and others on minimum budgets that you can, yeah. you've been able to raise just to get to the start line. So yeah, across the fleet, there's there's a huge diversity, 
but yeah, I'm definitely racing against other other yeah. people. So for example, I have the second oldest boat in the fleet. Right. A lady called Alexia Barrier has a boat that is two years older than mine. Right. So Alexia and I are definitely competing yeah. against each other. And then the next boats on from that, they're two generations younger than ours. However, within there, there's a bit of a mix of people with different budgets, with different experience. So what will happen in the race is we'll all sort of, we'll split up into our own little packs and we'll be racing within those packs. Okay. So it's definitely a race. But again, one of the, the, the strange things about solo ocean racing is because everybody takes different routes and has different experiences and different things that make them pause or fast forward, then we don't often see each other anyway. So you need that sort of, you need to be racing yourself anyway yeah. because you, you're you not going to have the the stimulation of looking at someone yeah. to help to it's push not, you. Yeah. yeah, no, you can see the dot on a map, I suppose. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah. And, and that is it. And you, you've touched on it, I suppose, and earlier, and it's this piece around sleep hmm. and the bit that I... The adrenaline must be flowing through your body on that boat. So let alone the boat's rocking and going everywhere a lot of the time. Most of us, when something's happening in our lives or trying to achieve something, adrenaline's flowing. Sleep is difficult at the best of times. Mm. You're on a boat in the middle of the ocean. Adrenaline must be oozing through all your veins. How do you sleep? So I don't sleep for longer than 30 minutes at a time anyway because the boat is is going you know the boats so i've got an incredible autopilot that actually largely i'm afraid to say steers better than me <laughs> um and so all the time that i'm doing other stuff you know the boat is racing it's competing yeah, it's moving. um so you know longer than 30 minutes there is a, a huge potential that something will change so i would never sleep for longer than that anyway you know i sleep for 30 minutes get up make sure everything's okay and then I might sleep again or I might do something else. You know, it just depends on the environment. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get as much sleep as I can. But, you know, my minimum is four hours in a 24-hour period. If I'm not getting that, then well, I, I have to sort of force myself to get that. But essentially, the adrenaline will spike when things change. And so, you know, there's... I'll have a huge amount of adrenaline at the start. I don't mm -hmm. suppose I will be able to sleep for, uh, you know, the first 36 hours, I would say. I will be wired yeah. and, you know, that will be it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then, you know, things become normal. So after the first 36 hours, it's my normal. So the adrenaline drops down, I get into a routine and you're just tired, you're tired. So you're you you're tired and exhaustion just kicks in, doesn't yeah. it? And if you sit sit yeah. down, you're and it is drift. literally I I will lie down on the floor and I'll be asleep in less than a minute. It just is yeah. such a because it's what my body needs and my body knows it needs it. So you're very much trying to sort of control this by never dipping into extreme exhaustion. Yeah. Always sort of keeping yourself on a level of very, very tired, but never extremely exhausted, yeah. if you like. So you're just trying to top up all the time. And then, you know, the first time I get into a Southern Ocean storm, then yes, I am going to be terrified. And, you know, I would say, again, I will have 
you know, let's say 48 hours of not being able to sleep. Yeah. However, you know, after 30 days of Southern Ocean storms, it's normal. Yeah. Or less than 30 <laughs> days ahead. Yeah. Depends what you define a normal yeah. bit. But, but <laughs> yeah. normal is relative. You isn't reset, it? your body resets, yeah. you reset, your mentality resets, doesn't yeah. it? And off you go. And it's, you know, this concept of, of, of normal is quite interesting because, you know, for me, when I started out with my boat in 2018, you know, sailing a 60 foot boat on my own was terrifying. Mm. But but now it's normal. And so all the time we're redefining what normal is. Yeah. As we push and challenge ourselves yeah. in, in anything in life, isn't it? We yeah. define a new normal. And that's one of the great things about setting challenges and goals. And, Absolutely. And yeah. going on the journey, isn't it? Yeah. And I, I suppose for our listeners, you know, I've been on the boat. I've seen it, you know. I first heard of this 60-foot boat. I didn't expect many home comforts on the boat. But when you actually get into the boat, the actual living accommodation, I mean, how it's tiny, isn't it? And there is yeah. no home comforts on the boat. It is yeah. a pure racing boat, isn't it? I've got a chair now. A chair? <laughs> it was a beanbag when I came on yeah. the boat. That's what you'd sleep in. I'm going up in the world. <laughs> yeah, there's there's nothing there because weight slows the boat down and you know obviously there's going to be quite a lot of weight on the boat anyway because I have to take all my food and my tools and my spares so we try to avoid putting anything extra on so I take what I need not what I want Mm -hmm. but actually you know when you are living when the day-to-day is is just about making this boat go it's about keeping the boat in the best condition you know then comforts don't come into it. You don't yeah. even want comforts because you you know it's it. Life becomes very very basic. Yeah, and and so you don't need extra stuff. Wow. Do you? You've obviously chartered this boat. How long have you had the boat now? I picked it up in January two thousand and eighteen. Okay. So just no, over, nineteen. Sorry, nineteen. All right. So yeah. Yeah. Just over eighteen, nineteen months. Yeah. And, I suppose I'm intrigued to see, do you feel there's a relationship that builds with the boat? Oh, 100%, yeah. Yeah? Yeah, and it's it's actually really, I mean, sure, it's an inanimate object, but, um, yeah. you know, the boat means a lot to me because it's the boat that has enabled me to do what I always dreamed of doing. It's enabling me to be the person I always wanted to be. Yeah. You know, it's offered me... a a huge potential to develop and grow in the direction that I wanted to and so yeah I mean but also this 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 boat is the thing that's going to keep me safe it's you know it's going to be my entire world for three months and so yeah there's definitely a a very strong relationship but also I've had to learn the sounds the feel you know because so much of the time I'm down below in this tiny little compartment and I'll be absorbed, you know, doing weather routing or, or something like that. And, you know, it's by understanding how the boat should feel that, you know, you get the first indication that something might be wrong. It's a, it, it's yeah. a sound or just a wave in the wrong direction. And, and that will just either wake me up or sort of alert me and I'll go and, and find out what's wrong. Wow. So there's a real connection. Yeah. So obviously we've we've had the whole covid situation in this preparation mm. as well and as i understand the boat was being going into refit just as we went into lockdown so yeah. how has that affected you in a reasonably short period of preparation yeah i mean effectively i i think i probably lost about 
three months this year, I would say. But everybody did. Yeah. You know, the boat, the boat was supposed to be coming out of refit at the end of March and it came out in July. Um, and so effectively those three months were sailing months. And, you know, that's difficult for me because, you know, it's the more time I spend on the water, the, you know, the better I get as a sailor. So it, it has, will have impacted my potential performance. Um, however, you know, ev- everybody in the fleet has been in this situation. And actually, you know, one of the benefits I have from having an older boat that's proven mm-hmm. is that, you know, I I know the boat is tried and tested. And some of the guys at the front of the fleet, you know, who've got new builds, five million pounds of new build, um, you know, they they've not managed to even sail it across an ocean yet. Right. So so they're they're very much, you know, they they would have they would have been aiming to have this entire year testing and developing. And so, you know, potentially the impact of, of three year, three months less on the water is is greater to them than to me. Yeah. But all up, you know, we all We're all affected in some way, shape yeah. or form. Yeah. And during this period you have found the major sponsor for the boat, haven't you? So how did it's, that come about? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was incredible, really. You know, I, I think I set out last year to to gain my place in the Vendée and, and I did that. And, you know, all of last year I was working pretty much as a one-man band. I did everything myself. Yeah. You know, it was a, a very tough year. But the idea was that, you know, if I had a place in the Vendée, then it wasn't a risk anymore. I was taking the risk away. So... You know, it's effectively going back to that idea of presenting to someone. Build it and they will come. Exactly. Sort of build exactly. the dreams yeah, kind of yeah. 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 Um, and then, you know, I was having I was having discussions with um a couple of bigger sponsors going into the lockdown and, and, and we were very close with them and then you know the the lockdown happened and and you know, two companies just literally walked away from the table and we never heard from them again. And that was, you know, difficult. And, and it's another readjustment. It's okay. You know, I never, I never believed that I wouldn't make it, but, but, you know, it was almost like, okay, we're going to have to start again, again. And then I wrote a piece in a sailor magazine and, and I had a piece in the Telegraph as well. And just talking about the fact that the Vendée Globe was a dead cert, it was definitely going to go ahead. It was one of the very few international sporting events that was going ahead this year. And I talked about, you know, how how my last year had gone, how I'd made it work, and the fact that I was looking still for a title sponsor. And out of the blue, the CEO of Medallia emailed me. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, and yeah, two weeks later, they'd committed to Done sign a title sponsor, which is Brilliant. incredible, really incredible. <laughs> well, it's a big piece of the jigsaw, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And which now means you've been able to build the team around you, I assume, and it's, therefore in this final three months yeah. in the run-up to the actual start line, you've got a team around you and a team that will be there to support you yes. from the land during the race. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's been, you know, an absolute game-changer and the boat got dropped in the water yesterday so we had our second time out of the water we were dropped in the water yesterday and you know the smile on my face was enormous I just looking at going 
I can't believe this. This is it's so good. It's so you know we're not we're not making massive alterations, but but you know the work we're doing is making the boat more reliable. It's making yeah. it easier for me to sail. I can afford new sails now, which is right. incredible. So all of these things are just. Yeah, they're going to make such a massive difference. I suppose it? that's that shift then between that keep the objective being finished, yeah. that performance and that race element yeah. starts to seep in, doesn't it? That competitive spirit in you. Yes. Yeah. Plus we started to lose a little bit. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Mm. Brilliant. So it seems a bit churlish, really, because the major, you know, the major challenge for you has been to get to this start line and mm. we've gone through that journey and then, discussed a bit about that time at sea and you know perhaps that's where you feel at home and actually the challenges there you're up for facing and the experience of your life and your professional sailing career to date will enable you to um face them but all being well i'll get it right this time 94 <laughs> days uh, after you set off your return to land and i suppose there's a couple of questions there is how does that feel you know you've said you've spent 58 days previously out at sea yeah and you're isolated you're alone you've faced all of that challenge you've overcome it and then you step back off the boat onto land and there's people and there's everyday life how do you readjust you it's difficult it's really difficult I know you know I felt before that it's kind of a little bit um sick making in a way because the world just is is spinning so fast you know and 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 you've been living life in a different way and and everyone is expecting you just to integrate straight back into where you were before and that's that's really difficult and so it's important to to just manage your time allow yourself to have time and make sure that other people understand that you yeah you can't be at their beck and call 24/7 and just i guess integrate back into it slowly and that that you know that 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 actually is you know you you do get back to normal life yeah it it, yeah. it happens life subsumes you yeah, i suppose it, does. Yeah. it happens it happens and you know i i'm gonna be wanting to see all of my friends and family yeah. and you know i think there'll be endless you know opportunities to go and, and meet people and see people and and all of that you know i'll very much enjoy but I know I'm going to need to just take time to be on my own as well and just yeah. kind of remember where I've been and what I've done and just re-engage back with that because, yeah. you know, it's, it's going to be, you know, the most remarkable thing I've ever done in my life. It's, and it's your life goal, isn't it? Yeah. You started this podcast yeah. we talked about <laughs> from your late teens. This is what you set out to achieve. Yeah. So. But, you know, I think I know from all of the other races that I've done, I know the other thing that's going to be really really important for me is i need to know where i'm going next yeah because you know if you put all this effort into something like this and then it's over and you don't know where you're going next then there's a massive big hole to fall into yeah and that's that was where i was leading is you know this whole life goal so what have you any idea of what's next yeah <laughs> are you willing able to share that with us so i mean in the in the long term yeah. then i want to do the vendee globe again okay i want to do it in 2024 on a faster boat yeah. you know with all the lessons all the development i've made in the last two years all the lessons that i've learned i want to take that forward to 2024 and just do 
you know, the next stage in yeah. my campaign. And then um, my sort of immediate goal for next year is, um, uh, so in 2017, 2017, I did the Three Peaks Race double-handed okay. with my great friend Charles, which is running and, and sailing, and it was a world first. No one's ever done it before. Right. And we came third. And <laughs> okay. We <laughs> so there is a competitive edge in you, isn't there, Pip? Finally, we get. So yeah, 2021. Yeah, we we've decided that we're going to do. I'm going to focus on running in 2021. Okay. Um. So three peaks race, double handed. We'll try and win it. And what does that consist of? Then? So it's a it's a sailing, running and cycling race. Okay. And it's it's a really ancient race. It was it was um I think it's 45 years old now. And it was it was thought up by a chap called Bill Tillman, who is a great Welsh sailor and a mountaineer. And it starts in Barmouth in Wales. It's it's in the standard rules. It's sailed by a, a team of five. Yeah, you have three sailors and two runners. And while the sailors are sailing, the runners sleep. And while the runners are running, the sailors sleep. Yeah. So you sail from Barmouth to Carnarvon. And then you run, the runners run from the Carnarvon Pier to the top of Snowdon and back down again, which is a full marathon. Yeah. And then they sleep while the sailors sail to Whitehaven. And then the runners cycle from Whitehaven to Blacksail Pass and then run from Blacksail Pass to top of Scarfell, back down and then cycle back to the boat. <laughs> and then the runners sleep and the sailors sail to Corpac, which is the entrance to the Caledonian Canal. Okay. And then the runners run up Ben Nevison Bag. And I've done this race three times. So one time I was a sailor on a mixed crew and, and we won. The second time I led an all-female crew and we yeah. won. And then I decided to do it double-handed yeah. with my friend Charles. And uh, we had to put in special requests and do all of our risk assessments and, and this, that yeah. and the other. And they accepted our entry. And nobody knew if it could be done because it's four days. Um, you run three back-to-back marathons yeah. up mountains and then you're sailing in some pretty difficult yeah. You're waters. in the Irish Sea, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, it's it's really challenging. <laughs> and, you know, we we wanted to see if it could be done. And when, when we set out, we didn't know. We thought it could. We really thought it could, but we didn't know. Right. And Charles is an incredible fell runner. He's got a huge amount of experience doing that. So we kind of just devised a team where... When we were, he's a good, he's a good sailor, but but sort of his his fell running is to my sailing. Yeah. So so when we were on the water, basically I he he did what I said, and then when we were on the land, right. I just followed his feet. That was yeah. all I did. He made every decision. I just followed him, and yeah, it was four days. We reckon we slept for six hours each over the four days, and yeah, we came third, but we. You know, one stage on the way up to Scotland, we were neck and neck with the boat that was first. And then they they, they rowed away. It's a curious race because you can row. Okay. Not normally allowed in a sailing no. race. <laughs> but because in Scotland, there's all these big, big holes yeah. with the wind. So they allow you to row. And, and what happened was we got we got up there, we got alongside them, and then they just pulled out the oars and rowed away from us. And, <laughs> and we were just like... We've just right. run two marathons. <laughs> We've only slept for six hours. They've never seen us coming yeah. up. <laughs> Do, just take it away. Okay. Yeah, we'll <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so 2021 is not going to be a year for you taking it easy then? 
No, and I think I, I think it's going to be really important for me to keep going, just yeah. just to keep having those goals. It's but also that's kind of the person that I am. I'm I'm never done. Yeah, just focused. Driven. I just think there's always stuff to do, isn't there? There's, yeah. Something next. Yeah. Okay, Pip. It's been brilliant having you on the podcast. It's been great just to get to know you a little bit over the last eighteen months. I'm in awe of actually the journey you've taken, as I've said to you many times, to even get to the point where you'll be on the start line on the 8th of November. Good luck Thank for you. my Evolve and everybody that uh, knows you and participates with Evolve. And hopefully we'll um, have you back on the podcast, perhaps spring next year. Absolutely, yeah. For you to tell your tales of the Vendée Glow. If people want to learn a bit more about Pip, where can they go? So social media, it's Pip Hair Ocean Racing or my website is piphairoceanracing.com. Perfect. Thank you, Pip. Fabulous. What an extraordinary individual Pip is. She is a prime example of how through vision, determination, fortitude and courage, you really can achieve your dreams and live the life you've always imagined for yourself. I'm just in awe of Pip and what she's achieved just to get to the start line of the Vendée Globe. It's really hard to imagine the immense task ahead of her, the danger and the stress, as well as the adrenaline of competition and achievement. I know you're going to join me and the rest of the Evolve team in wishing her success in the Vendée Globe and a safe return home. I'm really looking forward to that future podcast where we learn about Pip's experiences. So if you do want to access further insightful content, events, details of our webinars and inspiration then please do go to evolvemembers.com and register and sign up for our newsletter to get access to discounts early access to events and details of the evolve community you can also learn more there about our peer groups that are run by evolve please don't also forget that if you live in the pool bournemouth area our co-working space in ashley cross opens soon so that's it from me for another week I hope you've enjoyed this episode and if so, please do subscribe, rate and review the podcast for us and we hope to have you listening in future weeks. Thank you.